0: Welcome
1: to the Dark and Light Show. My name is Josh and it's my last day in the studio over here at WYSL and I'll be heading back to Colorado next week. You guys will be uh, hearing uh, probably a repeat show the next uh, Monday and Tuesdays just because I will be traveling but hey, nothing wrong with that uh, because we do some good shows here. We do some good shows here and this weekend is uh, what I consider the best weekend. In American history, this is this is the, the weekend. This is what we all wait for all winter long, right? Some people say, "Oh, Memorial Day." No, I say July Fourth weekend. That is the best weekend to be an American. You know, Fourth of July weekend. We we celebrate it with fireworks, with barbecues, with friends, with family, and uh, that's not a lot, of, not too much different than how it was celebrated 220 years ago. You know. July 4th has been around for 220 years. Actually, the 219 years. The the first celebration was in Philadelphia in 1777. First commemoration. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how the 4th of July got started. See, John Adams actually wanted it on July 2nd. Because on July 2nd, 1776, is when they actually voted for the resolution to adopt the Declaration of Independence which was penned by Thomas Jefferson and a few others but predominantly by Thomas Jefferson. The 13 colonies came together in the Continental Congress and approved it and declared their independence from a tyrannical and oppressive monarchy, King George. You know there's a lot of history behind the American Revolution. The initial battles of the American Revolutionary War broke out in April of 1775. Few of the colonists' desires to, to complete independence from Great Britain and those who did were considered radical. Man, doesn't that ring true today, huh? That, that rings incredibly true today. By the middle of the following year... Many of the colonists had come to favor independence thanks to growing hostility against Britain and the spread of revolutionary sentiments such as those expressed in the best-selling pamphlet Common Sense by an amazing human being by the name of Thomas Paine in early 1776, which we know that Common Sense was one of the... Influences by Thomas Jefferson for the United States Constitution as well as the Declaration of Independence. On June 7th, when the Continental Congress met in Pennsylvania State House, later Independence Hall in Philadelphia, I've been there twice, an amazing place. The Virginia delegate, Richard Henry Lee, and this is the man we can thank, introduced a motion calling for the colony's independence. They had some heated debate. Congress postponed the vote on Lee's resolution, but appointed a five-man committee, including Thomas Jefferson— John Adams, Roger Sherman, Benjamin Franklin, and Robert R. Livingston, and Robert R. Livingston, you know if uh, i I'm, I'm broadcasting right now from Livingston County, and that's uh Robert R. Livingston of New York, and so that's who this county would have been named after, one of the men who came together to basically discuss the re- the resolution of the Declaration of Independence it, it, you know so isn't that quite interesting? that we're all living well most of us are living here in Livingston County in New York and Robert R Livingston was one of the shapers of the Declaration of Independence of the resolution that we did against King George they formed a, a an official statement justifying the break with Great Britain and uh, yeah John John Adams wanted to do it on July 2nd but he was turned down On July 2nd, the Continental Congress voted in favor of Lee's resolution for independence in a near-unanimous vote, although the New York delegation did abstain, (laughs) but later voted. On that day, John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, that July 2nd will be celebrated by succeeding generations, such as the Great Anniversary Festival, and that the celebration should include pomp and parade, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent. To the other, it's interesting that he said that one end of the continent to the other, considering that it was just the thirteen colonies at the time. The western expansion hadn't happened yet, but hey, you know who knows uh, where these quotes come from? Sometimes people just make them up as they write them. Right on July fourth, the Continental Congress formally adopted the Declaration of Independence, which had been written largely by Thomas Jefferson. Through the vote for actual independence took place on July second, the men declared the fourth become the day that it was celebrated. In the pre-Revolutionary War years, colonists had annual celebrations for the king's birthday, which traditionally included ringing of bells, bonfires, processions, and speech-making. By contrast, during the summer of 1776, some colonists celebrated the birth of independence by holding mock funerals for King George III as a way of symbolizing the end of the monarchy's hold on America and the triumph of liberty. Festivities included concerts, bonfires, parades, and the firing of cannons and muskets, usually accompanied accompanied by first public readings of the Declaration of Independence, beginning immediately after its adoption. Philadelphia held the first annual commemoration of independence on July 4, 1777, while Congress was still occupied with the ongoing war. George Washington issued W. Rations of Rum to all his soldiers to mark the anniversary of independence in 1778 and 1781, several months before the key American victory at the Battle of Yorktown. Massachusetts became the first state to make July 4th an official state holiday. After the Revolutionary War, Americans continued to commemorate Independence Day every year in celebrations that allowed the new nation's emerging political leaders to address citizens and create a feeling of unity. By the last decade of the 18th century, two major political parties, the Federalists and Democratic parties, had arisen because holding separate Fourth of July celebrations in many large cities. The first fireworks were used as early as 200 B.C. The tradition of setting off fireworks on July 4th began in Philadelphia on July 4th, 1777, on the first commemoration of the 4th of July. During the first organized celebration of Independence Day, ships' cannons fired a 13-gun salute in honor of the 13 colonies. The Pennsylvania Evening Post reported at night there was a grand exposition of fireworks, which began and concluded with 13 rockets on the commons, and the city was beautifully illuminated the same night the Sons of Liberty set off fireworks over Boston's common. The tradition of patriotic celebrations became even more widespread after the War of 1812, in which the United States again faced Great Britain. In 187, the U.S. Congress made July 4th a federal holiday. In 1941, the provision was expanded the grant-paid holiday to all federal employees over the years. The political importance of the holiday would decline, but Independence Day remained an important national holiday and symbol of patriotism. Falling in midsummer, the 4th of July has since the late 19th century become a major focus of leisure activities and common occasion for family get-togethers, often involving fireworks and outdoor barbecues. Most common symbol of the holiday is the American flag, and a common musical accompaniment is the Star-Spangled Banner, the national anthem of the United States of America. And really, what we're celebrating is this beautiful document right here in Congress, July 4th, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experiences hath shewn, that mankind are more disposed to suffer, which evils are sufferable, than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariable, invariably, the same object invinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government, and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having an indirect object of the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to the candidate world. And then it goes on with the crimes. The I believe there's 20, 27 of them. And by the way, and, and you know, we, we get this taxation without representation, taxation without representation. Taxation without representation is only one of these 20 plus crimes that King George III was charged with. It starts with, in precedence, he has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained. And when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with many firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. And the list goes up and on and on. So taxation without representation is a small, small, small faction of this. All right, guys, let's get into the news and uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Dark Delight Show. Hey, guys, Josh here. Mike Lindell of MyPillow has been an amazing patriot supporting President Trump and conservative and Christian values throughout the last four to five years with everything that's been going on. We ask you to go out to mypillow.com and help support Mike Lindell as well as myself and this show, The Dark Delight Show, with using. Promo code RPP to save up to 66% on your purchase. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit mypillow.com. The world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S. TV slash Patriot and secure your long-term emergency food storage from my patriot supply my patriot supply is by far the largest preparedness company in america they're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage when you need it it'll be there lunches dinners drinks and snacks total in over 2,000 calories a day get free shipping on any order over 99 dollars Again, go to redpills.tv slash patriot. The global financial system is on the verge of collapse. Here in the United States of America, we have rising inflation, rising cost of goods and services from gas to food. We have supply chain disruptions. We have the incompetent presidency of the United States of America running the U.S. dollar into the ground by debasing it, by radicalized spending and printing. There is only one thing in this world right now that is a worthy investment, that has been the hedge for inflation year after year. Guys, that's gold and silver. Look, I invest in gold and silver, and there's no reason why you should not either. My buddy, Dr. Kirk Elliott, is an economist and financial advisor, and he is amazing at what he does by helping you get your 401ks, your IRAs, or just helping you purchase gold and silver bullion. You can give him a call at 720-605-3900, Or go to getgoldtoday.com and let him know that Josh from the Red Pill Project sent you. Dark Delight with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. The similarities between King George III's tyrannical hold and grasp on the 13 colonies is very similar, in a sense, to what is happening today. We have the weaponized DOJ. We have the weaponized court system. We have massive political treason occurring within the, the two houses, the Senate and the House of Representatives. Did you know that the Senate of the United States was never meant to be elected by the American people, but instead by the state legislators? And that this was a part of the separations of power. This was a part of the state's voice and the state's rights. But they changed that. They changed that because they understood that they could sway the voter, voter that they could influence the voter. And this occurred around the same time that they made voting basically for everybody, not just people who uh, had various different statures in America. You know, it's, it's, it's important to remember that the original clauses pertaining to voting in the United States of America meant that you had to be a landowner. Now, I think that the, the woke left would call that white privilege today. But uh, it was actually ingenious of the founding fathers to do that. Think about it. A landowner back in the late 18th or early 19th century, these people owned land. And if you owned land, that means that you are utilizing the land to feed your family. You're utilizing the land to earn income. If you're utilizing the land to earn income and feed your family, then you're producing on it. If you're producing on it, that means that you're providing for others as well. If you're providing for others as well, that means that you have to go to a market, a free market, and you have to sell goods or services developed and provided by that land, which means that you're you're producing the economy of that regional area of where you live. That means that you're helping the development of the United States of America. Not only that, is if you owned land, that means that you would also have to be knowledgeable upon the laws, the laws of the land. And if you're knowledgeable upon the laws of the land, then you would also be very, very interested in what politicians were doing. Not only interested, is heavily involved in what your local politicians were doing what your state politicians were doing and what your federal politicians were doing. You'd be intimately involved because it would affect you in every way, shape or form. And not only that is if those politicians made dictations or laws that undermines your ability to do your job, to provide for your family, to provide for your community. Well, guess what you and the community Are now involved. If the community's food supply has massive reductions, for let's say that back in 1801 they say, "Hey, farmer, you need to you need to destroy all your crops. We got too much this year," and that local township begins to suffer. Everybody in that local township would take up arms against those politicians, and those politicians would immediately change that decision and change that law. This was a system of checks and balances that this country originally was founded upon. This has all been ripped apart. The system has been long forgotten. And rightfully so. They don't want you to remember that system. They don't want you to understand why the founding fathers set this country up the way they originally did. It was a system of checks and balances and the ultimate system of checks and balances came from the people. The people, the consent of the governed. The landowners. But you know, it's... uh, it was the landowners who voted then, and it's still the landowners who vote now, except they don't vote with ballots. They vote with dollars. The majority landowner in the United States of America are fil- uh, philanthropies, billionaires, and corporations, and they utilize something known as the lobby to vote with their dollars. The Supreme Court decision in the early 1920s actually allowed that to occur. So not much has actually changed in America, just the way that that vote is proxied. (laughs) Oh, We need to get back to those those times of 1776. I think it's time for a new Declaration of Independence. Let's just copy the one that we already have now, reinstate it, reread it, change the name of King George to the tyrannical and oppressive Biden administration and the radical liberal Democrats and the rhino conservatives. And uh, go ahead and make a list of uh, new 20 different crimes that they've all committed against us, from usurping our vote to undermining our Constitution to implementing draconian restrictions upon the American people without the rule of law. You know, I was listening to the Glenn Beck before this, and uh, I know Glenn's on vacation, but they had a a gentleman on there who was talking about the Supreme Court decision uh, that uh, recently came about through the APA. And uh, I I didn't think about this angle, but he was absolutely right. He said, you know, this set a precedent for all the administrative functions of government, that administrations within the government cannot make law. They they cannot dictate law, which which means that they, they can come out with certain policies, but the policies are arranged directly towards them, towards their administration, not towards people. They, they cannot go out there and make certain laws that provide restrictions on people's rights and freedoms. And he pointed out that, you know, hey, the the Green New Deal is now dead because of this. But as well is the CDC. The CDC can no longer, after the Supreme Court ruling, come out and put restrictions on the American people. They can come out and make recommendations. But if they say, oh, yeah, you, you must wear a mask. Oh, a new variant here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you have to stay in your homes. We're locked down. Even if even an executive order from Joe Biden doesn't have the rule of law to do that, it has to be con- congressionally passed by both houses and signed the law by the president. The same thing in your state that when a governor gives an executive order. I lived, I'm coming from the state of Colorado, and one thing that I do is I read my state constitution. And I urge everybody out there to go read their state constitution because they're incredibly important because each one is different in just a little bit a little bit of light. But in the state of Colorado, the constitution does not give any authority to the governor to have executive action. It only gives him one point of executive action, and that is to move the capital in the state of a, national, uh, of a state emergency. That's it. There's, there's no powers granted by the people to the governor of that state to issue executive orders. Now, there's the Colorado Revised Statute which basically elaborates upon various powers granted in the Constitution of Colorado to the governor, of which he believes he can take those powers. And the same thing in New York State. See, executive order as ruled by the Supreme Court is not law. It is not something that can be enforced by law, So police and sheriffs do not enforce executive order. Executive order is more of dictation for policy, which means that an administration, the administration functions, the CDC, DOJ, these types of people would have to abide by the executive order from the executive branch. So when Joe Biden comes out and says, oh, you know, I'm uh, putting an executive order out there for mask mandates or or Governor Hochul comes out there and says, you know, OK, we're going to lock down again, guys. And, you know, go no going outside. You got to wear your mask. You got to get tested here and here and here. And I'm, I'm signing the executive order for the health emergency. That has no effect over you as a free American citizen. They, they can't. There is. It was not passed by Congress. It was not passed by the Senate. It was not approved. It's not law. The only thing that you have to abide by is law. But see, Americans have forgotten that. Americans have forgotten that they hold the power in this country, that they have the power over their elected officials. It's somehow the pyramid of power now puts the people on the bottom of the pyramid where the people are at the top of the pyramid originally. If you take that pyramid and you turn it upside down, where the president is on the bottom, Congress and senator on, on top of him, and the people stand in the way at the top, that's the true order. Read your Constitution, people, especially this weekend. It's a reminder of the freedoms, the liberties that we have. And I guarantee you, if you pull up the New York State Constitution, you will be incredibly surprised at what you learn. And even though lawmakers say, well, that's not how it's interpreted. That's not what it meant. That's exactly what it meant. It meant that the people have the power. It meant that your rights cannot be infringed upon. It meant that the governor does not have special powers that can be restrictive to your rights, your liberties and freedoms. That's impossible in this country. But we allow it to happen. We allow it to continue. But not for much longer. We'll be right back with more of the Dark Delight show right after this. Dark Delight with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. All right, we are back with the Dark Delight show. And we're talking about freedom. We're talking about liberty. We're talking about independence. We're talking about those things that make Americans American. And yeah. I highly recommend that you go out there and read your state constitution, whatever state that you're in. I know there, uh, this, this gets rebroadcast as a podcast as well on all of our podcasting channels for the, the Red Pill Project. Now, by the way, if you guys are interested in more podcasts or, or news broadcasts from myself or my team, redpills.tv, R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S.tv, that is the place to go. That is the place to be. We have a lot of great content on there. My Daily Dose podcast, which is Monday through Thursday, we talk about what I call the Unfolding Global Conspiracy. And so you get the morning Unfolding Global Conspiracy here, and then you get the evening Unfolding Global Conspiracy there. And uh, it's actually completely different shows and different information, and I can be a little bit more free there, as you can imagine. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting time to be alive right now, and it's truly revolutionary times, and I don't mean that in the sense of a revolutionary war or civil war or anything like that, but we are in a time where our government is seizing the power from the people, where the government believes themselves to be the ultimate authority over the people, and they claim, oh, well – you know, it's the, the majority of the people. Well, this isn't a democracy. This is a constitutional republic with a democratic process. There's a big, big difference between a constitutional republic with a democratic process and a constitutional democracy. Democracies were officially ruled as evil and bad by the Romans. The Romans didn't like them that much either because demos, crassi, means mob rule, the majority rule over the minority, and that's not how this country is. That's not how this country was set up. We have a system of checks and balances where the ultimate system of check and balance was with the people, and the people have the ultimate voice. And, and one of the examples of this is that a person can go into a court of law. A human being can go into a court of law and fight a law passed by the house the Senate, and signed by the president. A federal law comes into power that people can take that to court and utilizing a jury of their peers. By the way, a jury of their peers was another thing that was changed in this country. A jury of your peers was always meant to be people who knew you, who understood your character, your neighbors, your friends, your family. That's who your jury of your peers was originally supposed to be. <laughs> Definitely is not that now. But You could go in front of a judge in a court of law and a jury of your peers, and you could argue the unjustification of the law. And the jury could come out and say, yeah, he's right. This is an infringement on his constitutional rights. And uh, yeah, this this law is uh, unconstitutional. And right there with that court decision, that law would be null and void. That's the system of checks and balances that we have in this country. The people have the ultimate authority. And then when the government would go, well, guess what? We're the government. We're going to continue with that law. Then the people have the ultimate say there as well. And you know what happens then. When that First Amendment no longer is viable, when the First Amendment is smashed into the ground by the boots of tyrants, then we take up other amendments. And it's right there in the Declaration of Independence. It's right there. In the Declaration of Independence, written by Thomas Jefferson, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and institute a new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light or transient causes. And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer which evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, invinces a design to produce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. That right there doesn't mean... That you have the right to go ask the government to stop doing what it's doing. That right there does not mean that you have the right to go, hey, Congress, Senate, you guys are being tyrannical. You guys uh, are usurping our rights, our liberties, and our freedoms. Can you just stop, please, and stand down? I think we all know what that means. And I'm not promoting that, promulgating that. But I'm saying that as Americans, is our rights to dissolve tyrannical and oppressive governments through the means which our God has granted us with our rights and our freedoms. Man, I love the 4th of July. What a great holiday. I want to make a, a short little announcement. A friend of the Red Pill Project, a freedom fighter, a father, a husband, a doctor, a scientist, A man who was one of the first on the scene to cry foul with COVID-19 and then scream at the top of his lungs to the American people, the international community, about the COVID vaccine. Dr. Vladimir Zev Zelenko has passed away. Born in 1973, passed away yesterday in 2022 on June 30th. Rest in peace, Dr. Zelenko. You'll be truly missed. All right, we have to stand firm, according to Biden advisor, Brian Deese. If you don't know Brian Deese, he's the uh, director of, national, of the National Economic Council for Joe Biden. On Thursday on CNN Live, he, uh, he made a slip-up, which the Biden administration is now trying to cover up. And he was asked... What do you say to those families that say, listen, we can't afford to pay $4.85 a gallon for months, not years? And Brian Dees replied, this is about the future of the liberal world order and we have to stand firm. Talk about a socialist, a commie, having a Freudian slip. There it is right there. This is about the future of the liberal world order, and we have to stand firm. So so basically, what he said in that statement, in those, what, 15 words, was that the high gas prices were being created to help them usher in their liberal world order, their new world order. That the American families suffering is all for the good price of their political agenda. You know, if this was 220 years ago, and this was occurring, right now, guillotines would be f- being built outside of the halls of Congress. Each state capitol would have amassed massive patriots, armed to the teeth, calling for the resignation of this gentleman, and Joe Biden and his administration and Congress. Where's that America I once knew? Where's that America we used to be? Where's that America that would stand up to bullies, who wouldn't let people suffer, who lent a helping hand to friends, neighbors, to the disenfranchised? Who would take in your sick, your weak, and your poor. Who would travel across the seas sending their finest men and women to fight for another country's freedom. Where is that America we once knew? The place that everybody around the world wanted to go to, wanted to move to, wanted to live in. The place of opportunities where dreams were made, where you could come here as an immigrant from another country and work your butt off and become a millionaire. The land of opportunity is no more. All of our good jobs have been sent overseas to other developing nations. Our infrastructure is dwindling and declining and deteriorating. The old megacities of, of the past that built this country are in shambles, overridden by violent crime, drugs, and corrupt politicians. The inders- industries that forged the American way of life have long since left for cheaper labor, easier production, less regulation. Our education system, which used to be revered around the world for developing some of the top minds in the world that came out with massive periods of innovation, which skyrocketed humanity into this current technological progression has long since declined. Out of 183 nations, the United States ranks somewhere within the 60s or the 70s in education and decreases year after year. Our children are no longer going to school to learn about the world, to learn about their country, the foundings of freedom. They're no longer learning math, science. Instead, they're being indoctrinated into a system of control. Where is that America I once knew? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just one minute with more at the Dark Delight Show. Hey, guys, Josh here. Mike Lindell of MyPillow has been an amazing patriot, supporting President Trump and conservative and Christian values throughout the last four to five years with everything that's been going on. We ask you to go out to MyPillow.com and help support Mike Lindell as well as myself and this show, the Dark Delight Show, with using promo code RPP to save up to 66% on your purchase. Dark Delight with Josh Reed on the WYSL stations. All right, we are back with the Dark Delight show. And yeah, I had a whole bunch of news to go through, but uh, I enjoy this conversation. I enjoy talking about America. I served my country for uh, just under, no Siri, not now Siri. Siri's trying to talk to me. I served my country for just under 10 years. I joined the United States Navy um, before September 11th. I had left on October 3rd, 2001 for boot camp. I spent uh, some some short time, well, not a short time, a little over a year in uh, various different schools, learning about gun missile fire control systems, combat directory systems, learning about the the various different communication radar guidance systems, all these different electronical and electronic and electromechanical systems that are on naval ships that deal with Firing guns and missiles. (laughs) It was a good time. Then I went to a visit board search and seizure school before I went to my ship, and that's uh, kind of like a a security response force or uh, maritime interdiction force school um, that uh, teaches you how to to go out there and board vessels and uh, detain suspects, kind of like police at sea. And uh, then I went to my first ship and uh, immediately when I got to my first ship, they told me we're deploying in 15 days. If you want to take leave, take leave now. And I had just gotten back from leave. And I said, no, no, I'm good. I was in San Diego, California. I was little, uh, I was still under 21 years of age at the time. And uh, no, actually, no, I was, I was 21. I had turned 21 that December. And uh, so I was 21. I was in San Diego, California. And so I hung out in the city for, for a while. And San Diego became uh, one of those great towns that I absolutely love. I lived there for just over six and a half years. But I deployed with my ship, the USS Rents FFG-46, for the first time. And we went to the Southern Pacific. And uh, we sailed on down there, hitting all different types of ports, like Acapulco, Cabo San Lucas, Mazzalon, Manzanillo. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic, honestly. And I uh, really didn't know what we were doing down there. We had uh, a Coast Guard a law enforcement detachment on board our ship. And the reason we had them with us is because... Uh, United States military cannot board an international ship in international waters. That's called an act of war. So what happens is we raise a Coast Guard flag, which was under the Department of Homeland Security. And now through various different treaties, we are granted the authority to board those ships in international waters in the sense of international law enforcement. And they would utilize military personnel as secondary security backup for those boardings. And uh, we came across our first vessel that was suspected of trafficking narcotics. It's called the Monte Carlo. I remember this one. And uh, I was one of the team members that was chosen to go on with the Coast Guard Law Enforcement Detachment. And we went on board. We detained all the boat crewmen. And uh, we tested certain uh, aspects of the ship. And it came back positive And we ended up recovering... Um, millions upon millions of dollars of cocaine, bales, bales of pure raw cocaine, and I started realizing, well, what, what is going on in this world? I didn't, I didn't know any of this stuff was going on. A few weeks later, we uh, were just off the coast of the Galapagos Islands. If you know where the Galapagos Islands are, they have a hundred-mile radius around the islands to where you cannot uh, um, go in there with a military ship. But that's where a lot of human traffickers and drug smugglers like to to the camp out, and we came across a barge, and a barge, you got to remember, we're in the equator, it's 120 degrees in the air, so 140 degrees on a big metal surface with no top covering, and there was about uh, about 50 children on this barge, and you could tell they had been out there for probably a week and a half, two weeks, a few of them were back with God, and, uh, you know, 14, 13-year-old girls pregnant, They had uh, no water, very little food, and they were left there. And you find out that their parents sell them to fishermen who take them out to the sea. They drop them off at a waypoint for human traffickers to pick them up so that they can be taken to the United States of America because the border is wide open and they know they can cross it and get to family members or handlers that are in the United States. And uh, seven out of the ten of these barges that are left out there at these waypoints are never found. This happens every day in the South Pacific. Seven out of the ten of those barges with those children on it are never found. And we found one of them. We found a few of them, actually, but this one deployment, we found one of them. And we saved those children, and we brought them in, and they were just absolutely terrified of us. But they had no idea what they were getting into. They were getting into a a network of crime. They were about to go to the United States of America and be integrated into a human-child-sex-trafficking ring. Children... Our money to these people, to these criminals. And you know what? Any politician that wants to leave those borders wide open is a criminal. They're complicit in the crimes. They're complicit in allowing those parents in Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela to make those decisions to send their children to the United States of America so they believe that they can easily cross that border, that they can walk right across the American border and become an American citizen. That's what they're told. When Donald Trump became president and he said he was going to build a wall, when he became president, we had a 78% reduction in the amount of human trafficking crossings at the border. Why? Because those parents decided it was too difficult for their children to cross that border. And instead of paying those fishermen to take them out into the ocean to be picked up by human traffickers, they decided not to send them. Because Donald Trump gave them a physical deterrent to turn those children away. That's why. Donald Trump represents America. Donald Trump represented what we believe in as freedom. He understood how the world works. He still does. You know, I, I remember my times in the military. I remember my time serving my country. And I'll tell you that my oath never ends. It never expires. And that I stand by my oath. I'll continue to stand by my oath. And right now, this is my service. My service is helping to wake up America, helping to restore America to its once great beauty because America is being brought to her knees right now. She's being brought to her knees and she's bleeding and she needs our help. I'm going to leave you with this song, which is a highly emotional song that we all know. But uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic 4th of July and please remember what that day is really. Much love, respect. God bless you guys. You guys take care.